back to Great Quarter, guys. This is episode 58. We are back in the studio. I'm glad to be here. It's been about a month since we've been in the studio. So uh, we are COVID-free in the office, and we are back here ready to roll. I'm your host, Andrew Cox. I've got Seth home with me as well. Like I said, it's episode 58. Today has already started off to be an amazing day. The greatest video game of all time is back. It's coming back. That's NCAA college football. It's coming back with a new name. It's not going to be NCAA football. It's going to be EA Sports College football. What do you make about that? I see it as they're kind of getting ahead of themselves, getting preparing for the eventual demise of the NCAA. That's what I read. <laughs> um, I don't know, but I used to love that game. I haven't played it in a long time. So I haven't played it in probably three or four years, uh, but it's funny. There's, there's like this whole aftermarket for the game. I, it, somebody got on the uh, the Twitter thread right after EA Sports had come out and announced it, and he's like, "Why couldn't you tell me this a year ago? I just spent I just spent three hundred dollars on a refurbished PlayStation Three and a copy of the video game. <laughs> it's yeah. like this huge second market just to play that game. There's huge demand. Uh, it's an amazing game. Okay, so we're gonna do you care or not, but then just after we're gonna get into our, our main conversations of the day. We've got a couple of them. We're gonna talk about uh, Basco Majors, a analyst at Susquehanna. He downgraded six trucking stocks, so we're gonna kind of talk through his analysis and where he sees the market going this year, what we, what we see for asset and asset light businesses. And then we may get into a conversation about uh, the, the vaccine rollout and how we expect it to impact trucking if we get to it there at the end. All right, so we're going to start off, you care or not. Nah, so this is, of course, our gauntlet of interest. I'll give Seth a topic, idea, or an event. You tell me whether you care or not nah and why. So the first one is on JP's biggest holding, that's Uber. Announced this morning that it will acquire Drizzly, an alcohol delivery service, for $1.1 billion in cash and stock. Apparently, it's about to be 90% stock, 10% cash. Seth, what do you think? You care or not about this acquisition from Uber? Uh, I don't care, but uh, I did do some research on it um, <laughs> because you put it in here, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, I, I, I don't think that... Uh, I. I was a little bit surprised by this. I We were kind of talking about it. I think they're going to have some problems getting this to be a major service just around the regulatory front. Um, however, uh, I did watch some uh, interviews with the CEO, and, um, you know, it's a big market. Uh, he was talking about on CNBC, it's a $250 billion market for, I guess, that's hard liquor sales in the U.S., and it's a growing market, and it's high margin, and only 2% of that is online right now. Uh, and they see that going to 25% in 2025. And the other thing I noticed is they've got some pretty, they've got some A-list investors. Um, Tiger Global, which is a, a fund that that I've always followed closely, uh, is invested in Drizzly. So it must be pretty good. Although Drizzly's share of the overall uh, online alcohol market was 10%. Um, so not that, it's not like Uber with ride sharing, where I think it's more like 50% or mm -hmm. something like that. So um, I think it's... I, I personally, as a, just a customer, I would love to have alcohol delivered to me. Actually, I don't know if you know, but I tried to do, I'm, I'm into wine, so I, I tried to get wine.com to deliver me wine, and there's limitations in Tennessee, for example. This is an example of the regulatory problems. I'm only allowed to get um, something like three cases of wine a year uh, and or uh, one per month, whichever is less. Okay. So I had to, I couldn't do the subscription because, uh, because of that. too much. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree this is going to be a big headache for them. I'm 
I'll say that I do care. I am interested in it. I think that uh, Drizzly's a, a cool company, so I, have to, yeah, I did a little research on them. So one of the ways that they've been able to get around the, the legality and the, the legal problems of delivering alcohol is they never take possession of the alcohol, so they actually don't have their own fleet of drivers. They just connect. They have a software platform that connects people that want on-demand alcohol delivered to them to local liquor stores. Uh, so the local liquor store has their own drivers that, that deliver this. Um, so they never take possession of the product. Also, they don't take a percentage of sales like Uber does. So they take a flat monthly fee that they charge the liquor stores. So I just have a lot more questions after reading more about the company because it seemed that that uh, Drizzly has done a good job of, of mitigating and, and limiting its legal risk because they never take possession. But now are the liquor stores that can use this app, that can use Drizzly, are they going to be able to use Uber drivers as well to deliver it? And does that mean now that, that there's another uh, legal headache for Uber that they are taking possession of the alcohol? I just have, I have more questions than I do answers after this one. Right. And that makes sense. And, and I unfortunately, I don't have the answers for you, but it does remind me a little bit of Open Table, uh, if you remember that one. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more like a uh, network effect uh, business model. Like you said, Open Table used to charge uh, per head uh, for that reservation and got acquired by booking. So I think, you know, the, the thing is, is the liquor business is highly fragmented, kind of like the trucking business, I believe. And, um, you know, you've got a lot of local distributors and that sort of thing. They may not be as tech savvy. And so I think this may be a good play in terms of bringing that network effect. If they can get a lot of people to sign up for this and then bring it to the liquor stores mm-hmm. and they they maybe have hire an employee to go drive it, uh, drive it over to them. Uh, I guess I can see it making more sense from that angle. Yeah, it's certainly much better for the liquor stores that were using Drizzly prior to this. Now they have access to uh, just people buying through the Uber app, which is, you know, they have God knows how much more people on the Uber app than they do the Drizzly app. Right. There was one thing I also wanted to note here is that Drizzly is a, is a holding company that that owns Drizzly, the 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 alcohol company, and they also own Lantern, which is a cannabis delivery company. I was going to say that. They're so also going to trying to deliver uh, marijuana as well. Okay, so that was my question. I didn't see. I didn't have that answered. If if this money which that they buy bans the TAM, right? Yeah, um, of course. Uh, but I think it was in two states. I think I want to say I can't remember. I read in the in the article. I can't remember which states it was, but they're in two states right now trying to do that. I, I think Washington is one of them. I think they do delivery, but I don't know the other. So exciting for Uber. They're, they are expanding that TAM, being able to deliver more and more stuff. They just you know, made the announcement uh, in the fourth quarter that they were going to build out their parcel network, Uber Connect. So now we've got parcels, we've got alcohol, we've got weed, uh, well, potentially. The, the CNBC anchor, too, made a good point. She was like, this is like a parent's worst dream. Uh, and it's like, yes. and she was asking, you know, can you get your weed and your alcohol delivered in the same shipment? And, uh, you know, uh, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Yeah, a lot going on at Uber. Okay. Uh, let's uh, let's move on to a story that we have from Freight Waves. This is on the ocean carriers. They are blanking sailings right now. Uh, typically in this time of the year, they do blank sailings during the Lunar New Year or leading up to the Lunar New Year because of a lack of demand or they try to pull some capacity off of the market to keep their rates in line. But that's not what's going on here. Ocean carriers are blanking sailings not due to a lack of demand, but due to port congestion. Seth, you care or not? Definitely care on this one. And, uh, you know, we cover a lot of this stuff in Passport, and we were actually in our trucking markets report this morning. Uh, Mike Bowden-Distel, who's on our team, was um, talking about something that relates to this, which is if you look at OTVI in the, the port cities, it's been growing a lot, uh, a lot faster than sort of in the Midwest in particular, which was the big down market this week. And not only is it, it's actually spread from L.A., given the port congestion and yep. the problem with COVID dock workers, it's spread... It's spread to secondary markets and uh, 
uh, Haypag Lloyd, I don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah, um, close enough for me. Close enough. Um, they actually put out a document um, <laughs> that, that Tony uh, Mulvey, who works with us, was, was sharing. And it basically sh had all this data showing that it spread to both East Coast and West Coast ports and even New Orleans. Uh, outbound tender volumes in New Orleans were up like 16% last week uh, for a down week. So uh, a lot of that makes sense. I mean, Maya, I mean, this, this story just continues to go on and on. Uh, it's amazing. And it's, it goes back to all those things that we've talked about, which is you're still seeing this booming. And, and we see it every week in the consumer spending data. I mean, both non-durable and durable goods spending data just continues to boom. And it's even, it's expanded categories, right? It's expanded to clothing and some of these other areas that were really weak. Uh, due to the stimulus, that's now picking up as well. So it's just fueling the fire, and they're out of ships, and they're out of containers, and they're out of dock space, and they're out of workers. And so it just continues. I mean, I guess in the good news for the freight markets is this kind of just continues to build that backlog yes. in terms yes. of, of the market staying strong over the next three, six, nine months. Yeah, agreed. Uh, this does push the peak even further. They keep extending the peak. You know, they, they said the ocean carriers believed that the peak rates were going to be in Golden Week uh, in October. And then they missed that. They kept blew right through that. Then it was going to be the end of the year. Then they blew right through that. Now they're saying Lunar New Year, but we're likely going to blow right through that, too, and, and keep rates and volumes high. Again, like you said, probably through the middle of the year. Uh, I love this line from uh, from Lars Jensen, the the Sea Intelligence CEO. He said these are these are not pull out capacity blank sailings. These are need to get back on schedule blank sailings. And um, yeah, as you said, there's no so in, in this typical time when they see delays, they'll bring up recovery vessels right. uh, to keep the lines moving steady. But right now they have no 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 extra capacity. They are all running at capacity. Right. So if you uh, maybe I was going to ask you to talk about what the usual dynamics are and then what we're seeing right now. But but yeah, basically, usually they have backup ships. So mm -hmm. when all these ships, the, the core issue is all these ships and liners are stuck uh, and literally waiting 10 to 14 days, I, I believe it said at L.A. and Long Beach. And so they're just sitting in these parking spots or out in San Pedro Bay waiting or even down in, in Huntington Beach and some of these areas. It's even spread to San Francisco. Um, and so they're going all over the place. They're having to wait forever. The amount of like total lead time from, you know, something going from China, for example, to the U S and hitting the retail shelves, it's, it's off by 60 or 90 days. It's mm -hmm. been extended by that. So there, there's all sorts of after effects in terms of, you know, we, we may start to see bare shelves in terms of an, an undersupplied certain categories that are hot uh, because there's, there, there's all sorts of after effects um, that we can talk about. But, yeah, why don't you touch on that real quick? What, what, why do they usually cancel sailings and why are they doing it right now? Yeah, so the ocean carriers, maybe more than any other mode of transport, are really good at, at adding and, and, and taking out capacity just to make sure they maintain rates. So, you know, even when demand plummeted uh, in Sorry, uh, even when demand plummeted early last year, they were able to maintain rates uh, fairly well, given the fact that they just pulled a bunch of capacity off. They blanked sailing. We remember talking about that in January, February, March, that they were blanking you know, 20, 30 sailings right. a week, and they were able to control capacity to meet demand to, to keep rates high. It's better concentrated market share, whereas in trucking, right. you can't pull all those trucks off the road to support rates like, like in a 2019 period, right? Right, precisely. And so in the, in the, the, addition, or the opposite happens when demand is high. We saw a lot of additional added sales 
tailings to make sure they're usually smaller vessels that can keep the lanes moving, especially from the China to the east or to the west coast, which is what we've seen, which is what they would be doing now if there were any more ships available. But there's literally a Hapag Lloyd had said that they are, are max capacity. They wanted to make sure they came out and told people that they were uh, canceling sailings, and they said that this is not because we're we're, we're idling ships; it's because. We physically don't have yeah, any they were like, don't blame us. <laughs> yeah, not our it's fault. Messed up. <laughs> it's messed up out there. Yeah, and you are right. It is spreading. I saw that the uh, Port of Houston had its largest uh, container growth, biggest month ever in December. Same thing for Savannah. I mean, it's spreading all, to every port all over the country just about. The one interesting thing, though, that maybe we can wrap up this part of the discussion on is um, Greg Miller in this article, he talked about at the end, and, and I, I think it was called Ocean Container X or something to do with the container. So there's several issues at play here. But one of those is actual containers, and one of mm-hmm. them is ships. Yes. But on the container front, things appear to be easing just a little bit. There may be some light at the end of the tunnel based on that data that he was showing. I believe it's the 20, the 20 and four, uh, the TEUs and the FEUs uh, for dry cargo, uh, the, the availability, they're manufacturing those like crazy, basically, in China uh, to try to correct the supply and demand imbalance. And we're starting to see in their data, at least in February and March, it's coming, it's still undersupplied, but it's coming back up to that threshold of undersupplied. And it's those high cubes, the 40 foot high cubes are still in massive undersupply. So, well, that's good news to hear that they are at least see a light at the end of the tunnel. So one, one, in other words, one portion on the container side appears to be sort of, uh, you know, evening out in terms of like, because they're manufacturing so many of these, like you, you weren't having these containers being able to be uh, returned because they were they were stuck at all these ports. So that that part is clearing up a little bit. Well, that is very good news for sure. All right, let's move on to UPS. They have some great news from their Q4 earnings. They reported revenue of just shy of 25 billion for the quarter at 24.9. That's a record for the company and was up 21 percent year over year. Seth, you care or not about UPS earnings? Yep, definitely care on this one too. And uh, just a great quarter from UPS. I have not listened to the call yet, but I did, you know, looked at a lot of the headline numbers and they're, I mean, they just destroyed Wall Street consensus estimates. They came in at about uh, 265, 270 on earnings. I believe the street was looking for 210. They had some big pension charges and one-time stuff that you had to remove out of there for the for the uh, UPS freight deal with TFII. But uh, overall take on the quarter was booming parcel volumes. Uh, they've been raising prices, which has come with better margins. And they've, be- they've had this really beneficial uh, mix shift. Uh, so, you know, how the shift from services to goods has really benefited trucking but, and freight overall. But UPS has had a beneficial mix shift within that of their own to these smaller and medium-sized merchants where, where they have more pricing power and they've been able to raise prices. Uh, so that's flowing through both to revenue and margins. So really strong quarter. I mean, 21% revenue growth at UPS's size is, is absolutely enormous. So, uh, and, and I think the stock had traded off a lot um, going into that quarter. So good to see in uh, a really good quarter, which I think overall just kind of suggests that there may be more legs Similar to how we talk about this a lot with the trucking market, you know, how long can these boom conditions last? I think UPS kind of answered that, that it can go on, you know, for at least a a little while longer here. Yeah, I want to touch on a couple of things you said. I do agree. Uh, I I do care about this one. You mentioned about them mixed shift to smaller shippers. They had volume up 28% for their smallest cohort and their largest cohort, which, you know, the Amazon, or I don't think Amazon is actually in this one because of their uh, direct partnership, but the Targets, the Walmarts, the biggest guys, volume was only up 4%. Right, uh, so that's huge for... 
for margins. And then on the Amazon side, I thought this was this was interesting. I, I mentioned to you that uh, that Amazon revenue came in at 11.3 billion, and you said, yeah, it's about 10% uh, of of UPS revenue comes from Amazon. It's it's, it's cranked up a little bit more to about 13%, but. Uh, well, that's just because Amazon's growing. So yeah, fast, exactly. Right? I think it was like they're they're gonna they're gonna record uh, earnings. I think what this week they're probably gonna post a hundred billion. And they're probably gonna sales. be spectacular yeah. as they as they usually are. So. Yes, spectacular. And and then on top of that, not only did they, did UPS uh, have incredible uh, incredible numbers, incredible revenue, uh, but they had good service too. I talked we we talked about all the delays, and they were able to minimize a lot of those delays with the shipping volume limits they put on their biggest uh, customers. But Satish Indel told me uh, the president of Ship Matrix told me that that UPS performed. At, in line with historical averages for this holiday season. So despite the 20% additional volume, despite all the capacity constraints and everything, they performed really well. I agree, and that's good to see. It seems like they've kind of learned their lesson from a few years ago, and they did a lot of planning, and a lot of, uh, you know, in, they had a lot better insights into their network and were able to uh, to plan for it, which, which results in happy customers. And uh, you you can't raise prices, by the way, when you, when you don't have good service metrics. So. Exactly. Exactly. All right, so we got... Uh, two space companies coming up here so or two space stories rather uh the first one is we've got another space company going public uh via spac of course uh northern california based astra space t- intends to be the first maker of small rockets to go public in the u.s seth you care or not about astra space i don't care on this one there's just too many space names for me to keep up with so i get it i, I would say this i get it like we interviewed uh back in uh space uh freightways space day space waves yeah uh, space race back back in the day we we brought in uh bank of america's space analyst and you know it's an attractive story it kind of reminds me of the internet back in like the late 80s or the early 90s like the, you've got this massive forefront so uh i am interested in the sense that i think it's going to be like a trillion dollar market that triples in a few years and 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 so right now you're sort of in the uh pioneering days yes trying to figure out who's going to be that amazon Who's going to be that Walmart in this space? Because it's going to be whoever it is is going to be very valuable. And then, you know, you've got all these different areas that uh, where where different people are playing from space tourism to commercial space uh, to all these different things. So I am watching it. But for this particular company, um, you know, it, it, the, the, the most interesting thing is that I, I believe that uh, Craig McCall, who is a former uh, wireless billionaire and expert, um, he does lend some sort of expertise that makes me a little bit more interested, but not I'm not interested in investing in this company uh uh, but I, I guess I'll watch it. You don't, you don't want to be in another company with a with a trillion dollar TAM and no revenue for five years. Yeah, I'm just I'm 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 full up on those. Um, for the <laughs> There's time a lot being. of them, these and, days. and they just they keep on coming. That I'm I've, I'm experiencing a little bit of fatigue um, <laughs> <laughs> with all these facts. So there's just. Not everybody can get you know go from zero to five billion in revenue in two years. Yeah, we so. talked about that just before this. You said if if every company that is going uh, public via SPAC got to five billion in revenue, the U.S. GDP would be growing at twenty percent a year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like that, you know? that, that was somewhat of an exaggeration, but I don't. I, I mean, I think we're starting to get there. You're talking about like in the in the stats that I see every week. You and I read this Renaissance, who is like the king of IPOs. We read this email every week, and I'm just like, my, it's just jaw dropping. It's like uh, SPACs in the latest month and quarter were like 200, and last year they were two. Yep. 
And, um, you know, you just have to wonder at some point, like a lot of these are led by very reputable founders. They've got good balance sheets after these deals. Uh, but at some point, I mean, you, you, how many, you've got hundreds of companies trying to tackle space and electric vehicles and all this. There's not going to be, there can't be, not every one of them can be a huge winner. Yes, you're right. I will say for this particular niche that this company is going in, there's going to be more than one winner. Uh, you know, the, SpaceX is by far the leader, the leader here, but Boeing is, is just behind them when it comes to taking rockets and taking satellites to space. But I like, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know much about this company before I found them and wanted to put them in the show today. Once I did a little research, I did get more interested again because of reputable founders. So the founder is the, the former CTO of NASA, was, was the first CTO of NASA that was focused on IT. Uh, they've got, again, McCall behind them that's going to give them some telecom expertise. That's obviously going to be their focus is taking up rockets or taking up uh, satellites they're they're and i like the other thing i liked is that they're making really small rockets that are highly reusable and are going to be going up much on a much faster cadence they're going to go for weekly uh weekly launches to begin with but eventually get to a point where they do daily launches like spacex will never get to daily launches because their rockets are just too damn big right and on the other hand though when, i mean and and i'm not an expert on this neither are you but it, when nope. the, the thing that makes me a little bit nervous is i think they raised like two billion in cash but they plan to launch a rocket weekly and spend three and a half million dollars on each rocket. If they start to actually do that without revenue, you can see why this is just not an investment. Cash for burner. Yeah. yeah. Incinerator. Certainly. All right. Let's go to uh, another space story here. This one's on SpaceX. So they just announced that they're going to do the first world's the world's first all civilian mission. So they're going to launch four private individuals on a Crew Dragon capsule into orbit around Earth later this year. It's supposed to be about two to four days the trip, but four complete civilians. Seth, what do you think? You care or not? I do care because uh, you and I have talked a lot about Virgin Galactic. We did an interview on it. it funny enough, and maybe it's some of the Wall Street Bets crew, which uh, we're not going to beat a dead horse on that, but uh, they've taken uh, Virgin Galactic vertical on this news. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Virgin Galactic actually made an announcement that they, uh, you know, they had a little bit of a setback in terms of their first commercial launch before they get Richard Branson up there. Um, but I think it's just supportive. I care in the sense that it's supportive for the overall space tourism industry, and it kind of shows it's the real deal, and it's kind of coming closer than you think because they're talking about launching uh, four people up there uh, with Dr. Isaac. Uh, yeah, some, uh, what is his name? I'd Jared Isaacman article. is yeah. his name. So yes. they're going to take four people, and this is orbital space, by the way. It's a little bit different, which means basically you're rotating at a very high speeds around the Earth. up there. So I I do think it's cool. And if they're able to hit this target, um, you know, uh, SpaceX's valuation is already massive. It's between 50 or 100 billion. I can't remember the exact number. Yeah, I think it was at 50 at the beginning of the year and 100 at the end of the year. Yeah, things move fast these days. Yes, they um, do. But yeah, I mean, I I do think that it's just another sort of um, signal that this is is actually going to happen and it may be closer than we think. Yeah, agreed. I think that's a good way to put it. I definitely care about this one as well. I will be two of the spots are actually still open for we don't know who's going to be in them. Uh, they are open to the public. So you can go on inspiration4.com and, and apply for the competition. You got to give a donation to St. Jude. I'll be doing that this afternoon. Uh, sorry if I got to take a, you know, what, what it'll be a four month break to go to space at some okay. time later in the year. That'd be fun. Uh, so yeah, I care about this one. I'm with you. I think it just it brings it closer to to fruition. Reality, uh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Let's let's skip our sixth one here and just okay. go ahead into yep. uh, our conversation on on trucking stocks, where we think uh, has it peaked for this cycle. Uh, Basco Major seems to think a lot of them have. Uh, why don't you go through and just give a little high level of his thesis and then we can get into some of the details. 
You know, uh, so yeah, last week, uh, Bascom uh, works at Susquehanna and he covers the sort of surface transportation space. He covers the truckload, the brokers, the rails, the intermodal, all those names. And, and you know, I mean, I, I tend to agree with almost everything he said here uh, in his note. And he downgraded a ton of trucking stocks. I've actually, you know, there's sort of a growing chorus out there. Um, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I do think that, the, the, I don't think it means anything more than first half of 2021 may be as good as it's going to get for a while in trucking. And it doesn't mean it has to crash back down and be like 2019 again, but it just may not be that good. We saw spot rates peak out at $3.22 a month ago. Um, and, you know, you're looking at double-digit contract rate inflation across the board. Knight Swift thinks it might be even higher than that. Uh, and then you've got sort of this – so not so. There's lots of stuff that we can continue to get into, but the tr trucking stocks and asset-heavy stocks are early cycle, right? You want to own them early because they have the most deleverage in the downturn, and then when things pick back up and get a little bit better, they start to grow their revenue fast, and they grow their profits in a much bigger multiple than their revenues because they're levering all those fixed costs as things start to get better. So all Bascom's is, Bascom is saying here is he thinks that the truckload spot, uh, stocks and then the spot-levered brokers, which also makes sense to me, are not where you want to park your money if you're a transportation investor because the same for the spot-levered spot uh, brokers, if as spot has come down, we look at truckstop.com here at Freight Waves, you know, it, it got up to 3.22 a month ago. It's now down to 2.70. It's down 15, uh, 50 cents, or about 16%. But that is revenue that comes right out of their back pockets if you're doing a spot transaction, right? Because you're charging spot. Yep. And yeah, so um, that makes sense to me. And he he prefers uh, some of the intermodal names and some of the later cycle names, which uh, all in all uh, makes sense to me. So you. Um you mentioned there uh, that you talked about asset heavy when it was the best time to get in there. That's early cycle. They're, they have the chance to delever and, and rise higher. What about asset light? Let's talk, you know, yeah. philosophically about the cycle. We've written a, we've written a paper on this back at the beginning of last year, or hell, that was 2019. Now, yeah. 20, 2020 flew by, but we wrote a paper on yeah. uh, on <laughs> on, on, uh, on brokerage cycles and, and trading in. Tell me a little bit about uh, just the brokerage cycle. Yeah, I mean, so uh, they the the brokers. I mean, this was prior to a lot of this digital freight. Uh, matching money flowing in from the Ubers and the convoys of the world, but they, they were known particularly three uh, PLs that were that did a lot of managed transportation, right? That had contract-based revenue, um, and a lot of the ones, if you look at CH Robinson and Echo and some of those, that they tend to run. It, it varies depending on where they are in the cycle, and they like to get sort of strategic because it, it can really squeeze you when spot rates are moving up fast. But the basic notion is. Uh, for companies that get a majority, uh, brokers that get a majority of their revenue from contracts, right? So early in the cycle, you'll see massive spot rate inflation, which we've seen now where, right. where spot's been running up 50% year over year. And that happens, that's the purchase cost of transportation for these brokers. And that's occurring before they have time to go back to their shipper customers right. and raise rates on them. So they're getting squeezed on their market, on their margins. And that while that's a negative early in the cycle, it comes back to help them. It pads their their financials, it pads their income statement on the other side. Uh, when things start to cool off and spot starts to come back down like it is now, that now may be a great time because they will all they they may have been charging. Just take a simple example. Let's say they were charging, you know, two dollars or two fifty a mile to their shipping customers. They're probably going to come in and raise that to 
250 or three dollars right mm -hmm. and given the fact that the that spot which is the cost of their purchase transportation is falling at the same time they may have good load demand they may get good price per load because they've raised those prices to their customers while their purchase costs are coming down so their their earnings are going to grow much faster and so you've got this rotation effect in terms of money where all the truckload guys you wanted to get in there early because they have spot revenue and they're about to raise their contract. You just, it's the next stage of the cycle in transportation investing. You're telling me that carriers uh, shouldn't be mad at brokerages for uh, squeezing them uh, when, when, the, when spot rates are coming down because they get squeezed when spot rates are going up. Correct. Because that's um, what it seems although, always happens. Yeah. Um, although a it's, a, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like the Wall Street bets squeezing. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of misinformation on both sides that kind of gets uh, you know emotionally thrown out there. But yes, I mean if you looked at uh, if you look at the brokers, for example, I mean their gross margins, right? Their gross uh, net revenue or gross margins. Uh, it's a little confusing why they why you call it gross margins and net revenue. Um, but uh, they got crushed. So a lot of them, you know, they used to average 15, 16%. A lot of those got down in even the high single digits or the low teens. And you're finally starting to like CH Robinson reported last week, they had their first sequential rise in, in gross margin. Uh, and I think it was many quarters. So you're starting to see this sort of beneficial cycle for the brokers start to play out a little bit. All right. Well, that is unfortunately all the time we have today. Uh, so, Seth, you want to give a filler for your team? What's going on in Passport this week? You guys got your, uh, your, your, your meeting coming up on Friday. What are you guys going to cover? Well, we, we always do our trucking markets report, which we just put out today. Uh, we do intermodal uh, on Wednesday, and we got our new rail and intermodal market expert, Mike Bowden, just joined our team. So that's going to be a really good report. Uh, and then Thursday, we're covering earnings season because last week we did TFI and UPS freight. So we're going to do a big sort of deep dive across all these different modes and, and, and look at earnings season. Interesting. All right. So uh, anybody that wants access to Point of Sale, which is the newsletter I write twice weekly for consumer and retail freight, you can go sign up for that at FreightWaves.com slash POS. Comes out on Mondays and Thursdays. We will be back next week, this time at 3 p.m. on Tuesdays. If you guys want access to all of our shows, you can always find everything uh, FreightWaves shows on demand at FreightWaves TV on the app. You can always find everything we have here at your favorite podcast player. Simply subscribe to FreightCast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for joining us this week. We will see you again next week. This has been Great Quarter Guys, episode 58. See you then.